Good morning. There we go. There we go. It's good to have you all here this morning. Uh, without further ado, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Again, I, I am grateful for the opportunity to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, um, uh, to worship with you. Uh, indeed, victory does belong to Jesus. Uh, we are not here, uh, uh, if you could think of old uh, high school uh, buddies or whatever, reliving the memory, the memories, the good old days of, of, uh, of, of uh, championship wins or uh, basketball tournaments or football tournaments or anything like that. This, this isn't a, uh, a reunion where we talk about how things used to be. Uh, and then, of course, we go home and lament about how things are, right? Uh, but rather, we are talking, we have gathered here to celebrate a victory, a victory that continues on and will continue on forever, uh, one that has implications that will never go away. The world has changed, amen? The world will never be the same again. And yeah, it's hard for us to see it day in and day out. It's hard for us to, uh, to imagine it uh, on certain occasions, but that doesn't change the reality of what is. Victory indeed belongs to Jesus. And because he is the victory, because he is the champion, everything changes. So it is so good to be here and gather together and be able to celebrate and encourage one another. I don't know about you, but but this world's getting a little cuckoo. And it's good to encourage one another and stir one another up, uh, uh, both here in our gathering together and also when we leave from here and gather together uh, apart from this building, how good it is to encourage one another and keep each other focused. Hey, we've already won. <laughs> Jesus has already won, and we are in him, and nothing can change that. Okay? So, let's look at our Bibles. John 3, are you all there? John 3, beginning of verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near, uh, near Salem, or Salim. Uh, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Sounds like we've got a little bit of a conflict here. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to give us insight and understanding, not just to un understand how this conflict is resolved, but to understand its implications for how we, even today, do ministry and serve the risen Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need your help. 
These words on the page are just that, words on a page apart from your Holy Spirit. We believe that this is the Word of God. And so our great God, speak these words to us. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our lives to receive the implanted Word. May it bring forth fruit. May it bring a harvest of 30, 60, 100-fold. Pray, Lord, that we would not be the same because of what we've heard here, but that we would be changed, transformed from the inside out, renewed in the spirit of our minds. May we be more like Jesus. We thank you, Father. We ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So, Father, we ask that you would have your way today, that you would magnify Christ. And if there is anyone here who does not trust Christ with their eternities and their todays, Father, I pray that they would hear and they would believe. They would be convinced, eternally convinced, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We thank you, Father, for all these things. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. What is that? That is the wedding song, okay? So imagine you're you're in a wedding. Imagine you're a wedding. You're sitting there in the in the uh, crowd in the sanctuary, and the doors open in the back. You hear that song. Everybody stands and turns, and they see this beautiful woman in her wedding gown being led by her father down the aisle. And you see the man up at the front, the groom. And you see him beaming from ear to ear, maybe even tearing up a little bit because he has never seen anyone so beautiful. There she is walking down the aisle and you can hear the oohs and the ahs of everybody around you. And she goes to stand right there in the middle with her father holding her hand. She is staring at the pastor and she's staring at her groom. You could imagine everyone there, including yourself, awestruck at what is about to happen. You hear the pastor say, who gives this woman, this bride, to be married? Dad says, her mother and I do. And then he lifts the gown, or lifts the gown, (laughs) lifts the veil. uh, He lifts the veil, and he kisses her on the cheek, and he takes her hand to put it in the hand of the groom. But right before he's able to put her hand in the groom's hand, the best man comes over, elbows the groom out of the way, snatches her hand and says, baby, I love you and I've loved you since the day that we met. I cannot go another day without you. Please don't make this mistake. Say I do to me. Now, for those of you who love a little bit of excitement, this is the greatest day of your lives, right? This is exactly what you came for, okay? 
but for pretty much everyone else in the, in the room, this is mortifying. Of course, most mortifying for the groom who thought that this was his best man, and in fact, he turns out to be the worst man, right? I mean, what are you doing right now? It's my bride. You can't have her. She's mine. See? And, and, and what, would you, what would you be thinking during this moment? You probably wouldn't be thinking all that highly of the best man. Uh, you probably would be thinking uh, uh, really sympathetically for the groom, right? Because he is the one, indeed, who has waited his whole life for her. He is the one who has worked so hard to woo her and to bring her into his he is the one who is leaving father and mother to hold fast to his bride so that the two can become one flesh. This is his day, and this is the bride's day. This is not the best man's day. But how many of us, if we're not tempted, if we're not careful, approach ministry in this same way? Let me explain. You started off with ministry saying, we are all about the groom. We're all about Jesus. How easy is it after a few years for the attention to kind of turn away from Jesus and turn inward? We are about us. How easy it is in this world as we see church upon church in every corner and, and we see all these folks doing all of these wonderful things for Jesus and we can get drowned out in the process that we don't think at least once or twice along the way, you know, maybe we should beef things up a little bit, right? Maybe, maybe we have been a little too timid and, and, and unassuming. Maybe we need to flex a little bit. And let's, let's show folks what God is doing here in this place. Let's show folks why they should be coming to our church. Let's show folks why we are the hottest thing on the block. How easy it is to turn things away from Christ and turn things toward us. How easy it is for us to be the best man intercepting the bride. If we're going to do ministry right, if we're going to serve Jesus well as a body, we cannot be about ourselves. We must fight the temptation for pride and fight the temptation for self-exaltation, and we must maintain our focus on Christ. One of the things that I love about this particular body what God is doing here is that you have devoted yourselves to treasuring Christ above all. Please understand that those can't just be cute words or a clever tagline or slogan to differentiate, or differentiate yourself from some of the other churches that are around. It must be the DNA of the body. That you don't just say it, you live it in your homes. You live it on the job. You live it everywhere you go. Everything is about Jesus and not about me. I am happy to be in the shadows in order for Jesus to take the spotlight. Well, John the Baptist had a similar situation. A scenario arose there in Salem. 
They were over there, uh, or in Anon, near Salem. As they were there, there was plenty of water over there, so it was a great spot for for uh, having large baptisms and so on. And, and so they were doing uh, all of this baptism, and a discussion arises. There's someone who, uh, who came there, a Jewish person, came to John's disciples, and they had a dispute in verse 25 about purification. Uh, it doesn't say what the dispute was. It doesn't say what was said there. All we know is that the topic was purification. So if I could use my sanctified imagination for just a little bit, I think what he's uh, what what may have happened probably looks something like this. He's looking at them, and he says the Jewish person is looking at them and says, "So why are y'all doing this baptism stuff? Oh, we're doing this because you know we 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 want to prepare the way for the Christ, for the Messiah, and so we're calling people to repent and to turn away from their sin, to turn to Christ or turn to the Lord for the forgiveness of their sins." so that their hearts and lives are ready for the coming of the king. Oh, okay, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Um, So this baptism is a symbol of purification, right? Yeah, 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 it's a a symbol of purification. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I was just wondering, you know, um, there's a guy over there who's also doing baptisms uh, to symbolize purification. And it seems like the folks who are over here getting baptized are now going over there to be baptized too. So if your baptism purifies, why are they going over there? Is it is it is it that like this is like you know the first you know vaccine and you got to go and get the second vaccine over here? Is that is what, what's going on here? You know what's up with the with the purification thing? Is, is his purification better than yours or anything? Is yours kind of like halfway? What's up with this? And they they turn to see who it was and they realize. It's Jesus. And they're going, what in the world? He's stealing our sheep. What is going on over here? Doesn't he know where he, where he came from? He started right here. What's going on? And so now they go, well, well hold on, hold on. We got we to talk to our, 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 our rabbi about this. And so they go over to John the Baptist, and you saw what they, what they asked him. Uh, really, they weren't asking. They were telling him in verse 26. Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness... Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. You can imagine what they're thinking as they're looking at this. Uh, uh, I mean, this ungrateful, you know, what is he doing? He's taking our people from us. He's wrecking our ministry. We started his ministry and now it seems like the goal of his ministry is to end ours. What's up with that? You can imagine they're probably thinking in their minds, we got to go big, Rabbi. We got to go big. We got to go on a promotional tour. Right, we got to go and 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 everything. We got to release a new album. Uh, we got to do something. You know, maybe we need to get fog machines, right? Right, and bring those in and everything. Step right up. Step right up. It's the baptism of John, the baptism of your lives, right? That we we got to go big or go home, Rabbi. And 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 as they're saying these, they they didn't say all that, but as they're as they're as they're thinking, what do we need to do? to push Jesus back so that we can continue on in our ministry, it provides an opportunity for John the Baptist to tell them what his ministry is all about. What he's going to teach us is this. When it comes to a wedding, when it comes to your place in the wedding, there's only room for one groom. (laughs) 
There's only room for one groom. Listen to what he says here. Look at verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. If we're going to understand our place in the wedding, and if we're going to keep our focus and attention on the groom and keep our, 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 our witness there to testify to the groom and keep everything about Jesus, notice first you need to understand that the wedding planner decides your role. <laughs> the wedding planner decides your role. Did you hear what he said in verse 27? A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. It's as if John is saying, guys, guys, I'm not the one deciding what my place is in the wedding party. Okay, I, I'm not the one who decided all of this. This was decided for me from heaven. It's a gift. I'm not doing this uh, for self-promotion. This ministry wasn't my idea. It was something that was given me from heaven. Please understand, and uh, as we consider ministry and as we consider serving Jesus here in this particular community and in this particular context, please understand, this was not the brainchild of Pastor Sean and all of those who were here uh, kind of in the first gen of treasuring Christ. This is not their idea. This is God's idea. The Lord is the one who looked in this area and said, I want to have my name proclaimed in this area. I want, I want a new gathering of believers coming together, uh, worshiping my name, going uh, and hitting the streets and everything, telling everybody here and even to the nations that my name is great. I want people to know who I am, and I want them to be the ones to testify to that. That didn't come from them. That came from God. Heaven gave them this ministry, and they receive it, and they go. Now, John, I don't think, is saying this in, in the, in the, with the tone of, well, you know, I, I mean, I really wanted to be like the, the head guy, but, uh, but, you know, the lot kind of fell this way for me. No, it's an honor that you receive anything from the Father. Amen? It's an honor that you get to serve in any capacity. Think even just within your own individual lives. Some of you are accountants. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are in the medical field. Some of you are students. Some of you are janitors. Some of you are dishwashers. Some of you are, are homeschool uh, uh, moms or stay-at-home moms, which means that you're all of the above, right? And, 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 and all of these things that, that you have, all these things that you do realize you play a part in this great work that God is doing and exalting his son as Lord over everything. Do you see that? It's easy for you to go, well, I wish that I were like the center of attention, but realize you play a part in maintaining Christ as the center of attention. Think about what you do. You say, well, how do I do that as a janitor? Oh, well, you realize, let's say even in, our, in uh, the place where, where I serve over at Southeastern Seminary, you go over there and, and hey, in this time with, with, with viruses and germs and all these things going on, I don't stop thanking people 
for spraying down doorknobs and wiping off tables and taking out trash and all of the things that, that, that our, our facilities folks do on our campus. Why? Because they're making sure that we're still in a position where we can train people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You think that's an insignificant position? Oh, you better believe that is a totally significant position. You play a part. Bus driver, you're, you're serving there with your, with your students and everything, and, and you're making sure that they get from A to B. You have no idea. You may have the next, uh, uh, the next great inventor, the next great political leader, the next great uh, 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 a statesman or stateswoman or so on right there on your bus. You have no idea how God is going to use you. You see what I'm saying? Everyone has a part to play. And it's not the part that you decide, it's the part that God decides. And it is an honor for you to serve in the way that he sees fit. Amen? The first things first, the wedding planner decides your role. And John is telling his disciples, look, you do what God tells you to do. Right? Look, look what he says. Second of all, not only does the wedding planner decide your role, but, but let's clarify the role here. You are not the groom. <laughs> right? If you want to know what your role is, well, we know what your role is not. You're not the groom. Look what he says in verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Okay? John has to remind his, uh, his disciples on what they themselves have said. They alluded to it in verse 26, Notice he said, and they came to the Jordan, or they, I'm sorry, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, you see that there? To whom you bore witness. John picks up on that in verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness. So in other words, you testify that that's what I testified, uh, that I was the witness, I was the testifier, and I said, I am not the Christ. And you actually find that in John 1, when some folks came up to John and said, who are you? Are you the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not. <laughs> well, well, then, then who are you? He says, I'm the one crying out in the wilderness. An allusion to Isaiah chapter 40, when Isaiah prophesied that there would be one who would come from the wilderness, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, right? And so Isaiah prophesies this in Isaiah 40. John understands that that is his role in John 1, and then John 3, his disciples even affirm the fact that he was the one testifying about the Christ. And so now John says, you bear me witness, I am not the Christ. I told you that I wasn't the Christ, but I have been sent before him. In other words, my ministry is not to be the Christ. My ministry is to bear witness to the Christ. Do you get that? That is the exact same ministry that God has given to us. Even though we're in a different time frame. John came before Christ. We have the privilege of being after Christ and before Christ. You say, hold up, how, how can you be before him and after him? Well, Scripture teaches us that Jesus has two comings. We call them his advents, all right? His first advent is what we celebrated last month. Remembering, this is January, right? Okay, last month, uh, we celebrated his first advent, his first coming, okay? 
He came as a little baby. Low in uh, the manger lay Jesus, my Savior, you know, and all that. And uh, 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 manger lay was actually in the grave you lay and everything. But, you know, that's what happens when you're, when you're preaching under lights. Um, but we sing away in the manger and silent night and all these different things. The baby laying there and all that. And, and, and we go, wow, this is amazing that the word would become flesh and dwell among us and all that. And we know uh, how the life panned out. John doesn't know this yet in John 3, but we know how the rest of the story goes. Jesus will live his ministry three and a half years of proclaiming the kingdom, of doing signs and wonders to attest to his identity as the Christ and also to the kingdom that is coming. He was falsely accused under conspiracy and so on. He was executed um, and, and he died a prisoner's death uh, as if he were a terrorist when in fact he was the savior and he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. Six weeks later he ascended into heaven where he sits high above all rule and authority and power and dominion not only in this age but also in the age to come and this is what we testify to, right? We have received the witness from John, and we've received the witness from, uh, uh, from John the Baptist, and also from John the Apostle, and the other apostles, and so on. We have received this message. We know what he has done in our lives. Can, can I spend a little moment talking about that? We know what it's like to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We know what it's like to be separated from God. We know what it's like to have not a care in this world, but burdened by the fact that there's got to be something more than what we've been living and how we've been trying to do our lives. And God in his grace shot through all the darkness and shot through all the depravity and said, let there be light. And as he said, let there be light, we heard the gospel for the first time, or, or we may have heard it a thousand times, but we heard it again for the first time. And our eyes opened up, and our ears opened up, and our hearts opened up, and we said, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we gladly turned away from our sin, gladly turned wholeheartedly to Christ and said, you are my Savior. We believe in the witness of the apostles and the prophets, but we also bear witness ourselves. This is the Christ. He alone is mighty to save. Look at my life. Look at your lives. Look at what he has done in transforming us. We couldn't care less about the church back in the day. And now all of a sudden we're calling each other brothers and sisters. What's up with that? We, we used to have all kinds of political divisions and so on. But now we look and we say there's a king above the White House. And his rule reigns and is forever and ever. We used to cut against racial boundaries and all of these different things. And now we see someone with different skin than us and perhaps a different accent than us and so on and say, your family. Do you see how we ourselves bear witness that this must be the son of God? I don't know about y'all, I'm having a great time today. So think about this as we talk about his first advent. We come after Christ saying, hey, look at what he's done. Look at who he is and look at how he works in my life. He is exactly who he says he is. But we also, like John, are coming before Christ because he not only has a first accent, he, uh, uh, accent, not only has a first advent, but he also has a second advent. We believe that Jesus is coming again. 
You see, Jesus got the ball rolling in his first advent, and then he's going to come back and he's going to make it final. Right now, we are not a political entity. We are strangers and aliens living in a foreign land, whether it be here in America or anywhere else on the globe. We are wanderers here. We are, we are people without a country longing for our home. But there is coming a day when Jesus will return, and when Jesus returns, home will be here at last. Jesus will rule and reign over the earth as king over everything. Jesus will rid the world of all who have not uh, bent their knee to him. Jesus will make sure that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That day is coming. And Jesus is not only going to destroy all who do not uh, uh, call on his name, but he will also gather all of us who have been persecuted, who've been beaten down, who have not been in the upper echelons of society and so on, who have been ridiculed, whose freedoms, even in this country, are always in jeopardy. He is going to take all of us and gather us together where he will be our Lord and we will be his people. We will see him face to face on that day. Righteousness, justice, and peace in this land once and for all and forevermore. The day is coming. We not only look back to his, uh, to his first coming and bear witness to that, but we also bear witness to what is coming in its, all, in its full fruition and totality when Jesus returns and he reigns over all of the earth. We are not the Christ, church. We bear witness to the Christ. We are not it. We bear witness to the one who is it. Okay? We are not the groom. We bear witness to the groom. So, not only does John say here that he is not the Christ, not only is, does he affirm the role of the wedding planner, not only does he affirm the fact that he is not the groom, but he is the one who bears witness to the groom, but third, notice the groom gets the bride. The groom gets the bride. It's kind of the duh moment in here. Look at verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Oh, okay, we're tracking now, right, right? The one who gets the bride is the bridegroom. But once again, as we said with ministry, how hard it is for us to keep that focus. The people are not here because of you. They're not here because of how great a job you do in children's ministry or in youth ministry. They're certainly not here because of how great of a preacher you are or anything like that. No, they're here because they want Jesus. So your job, are you ready for this? Your job, get out of the way. Get out of the way, okay? We, we have this conversation in the lock home on, on, a, on a regular basis. In fact, we just had this moment, uh, had one of these moments in the truck, in the parking lot, okay? Here's what happens. Um, one of the parents, either daddy or mommy, will lean over to other parents 
to give other parents a kiss. And right around the time that we go to give other parents a kiss, all of a sudden, a third face shows up. And third face just kind of sits there and goes, as if third face was invited in this two-person kiss, right? And we just kind of look at that person and go, will you get out of the way? <laughs> get out of the way. I, I ain't here for you. I love you. It's wonderful. But at this moment, two-person, right? So, so, so get, get out of the way so that I can kiss my wife, okay? Well, in ministry, it's much the same way. They're here because of you. Maybe you invited them into church. You're, you're doing a fantastic job serving the Lord and serving his people. That's wonderful. But, but at the end of the day, they're here because they want to see Jesus, okay? And any time you get that twisted when you say, they're here because of me, I'm doing a great job, I'm indispensable. No, here's a great paradox in ministry. You are a vital part of what the Lord is doing here in the church, and you are also quite dispensable. It's a weird thing, isn't it? You know, uh, if, if you were to leave, the ministry wouldn't shut its doors. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. We're glad that you're here. You are a vital part of what God is doing here. Yes, a thousand times yes. But don't ever let it get to your head or get, uh, get all up in your head where you start thinking, Nothing can exist without me being here. No. <laughs> it will keep going. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I was, I was pastoring in, in Baltimore. I think I've shared that before. Uh, and, and here we were uh, with the decision to go to Southeastern, and I was all excited about it, but I was nervous. I was really nervous because I was looking at our church family, and I was just sitting back going, I don't want to leave. I just don't want to leave. I love the church. I, I, I love pastoring. I love shepherding. I love watching over our people here, uh, and also, I, I, I don't want to wreck the church. You know, I leave the church and everything, and everything would fall to pieces, and, and, and so, you know, it was a lot of tears, and it took a lot of work to kind of pry my hands, you know, off and go, okay, we're going over to, to, to Southeastern, and so we go down there, and about a month or so uh, occurs, and I get a phone call from some of the folks there, and I was like, man, how, how are things going? And I'm just kind of wincing, going, oh, we should have stayed, we should have stayed. And they're telling us the story of all the things that God is doing. And we're going, oh, <laughs> things apparently are, are going well. And then it's weird because you're there and you're like, I don't want to leave and leave the church in jeopardy. And then you realize, oh, the church apparently doesn't need me. Oh, and it's a paradox, isn't it? It's a paradox. You know, you're there and you're a vital part of it, but at the same time, the church doesn't rest on you, it rests on God and on his sovereignty and his control. Newsflash, the groom will always love the bride more than you. Did you hear that? <laughs> the groom will always love the bride more than you. He's raised you up because he loves his bride. And when you're gone, he will, Lord willing, raise someone else up because he loves his bride. Okay? That frees us from thinking that we are indispensable, but rather it teaches us to be humble. Be humble. 
The church is great. We praise God for you. Be humble. It's an honor to serve the risen Christ. Well, the wedding planner decides your role. And that role is not to be the groom, but to bear witness to the groom. The groom is the one who gets the bride, and this is what happens when he gets it. Listen, verse 29. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, all of this was an argument for this right here, all right? Remember they said, hey, he's the guy you're testifying to, he's going over and, he, and everybody's going over to him and baptizing and all that. And John wants to establish his response. And his response is that last part of verse 29. This joy of mine is now complete. This joy of mine is now complete. And of course, the great verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. What's he saying? What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. When the groom gets his bride, they exchange their vows, and they enjoy wedded bliss till death do they part. The best man came for that. So when that happens, the best man has all the joy that he could ever imagine. Mission accomplished. I was here to make sure that the bride goes to the groom and the groom gets his girl. And now that he's got his girl, my joy is complete. I can now move out of the way and he can now take center stage because this is what it was all about to begin with. In other words, they're joining together completes his joy. Question, is this where your joy lies? Do you wake up and serve the Lord Jesus so that you could be the center of attention? Or do you wake up and, 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 and serve Jesus so that he would be the center of attention? Does your heart just absolutely overflow with celebration and excitement when you see that people are worshiping Jesus? Are you excited about stepping into the shadows so that Jesus could take the spotlight? Do you love weddings? (laughs) Because in reality, all of history is about a wedding. That's what this is. You get a part in the wedding party. And you are here to make sure that the groom gets his girl. So when he does, when she worships him, and when she lays down her life for him, and when you see him continually laying down his life for her, not just as, his, as her savior, but even right now as her great high priest and soon as her coming king, does your heart just absolutely erupt in thanksgiving and praise that you had even the smallest part in this story? Oh. Folks, this is the story. You get to play a part. No, you're not the header, the headline. You know, you're, you're not the person you know, starring you. No, it's not starring you. You're, you're kind of down the line in the credits, right? And that's okay, because you get a part. I could change, change the analogy from weddings. Next week is the Super Bowl. You know I couldn't be here without a sports analogy. Um, <laughs> You got the Super Bowl. 
And on whichever team, whether it's the Chiefs or the Bucks, we don't we don't know who's going to win. Um, everything in our souls hopes that Tom Brady doesn't get another ring, but that's a different story. Um, you you you're there for the wedding or for the for the Super Bowl, and uh, and 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 here's the thing: whoever wins the game, the team gets the ring. That means if the Bucks win, Tom Brady's going to get another ring. But that also means that Joe Schmo on the practice squad, who has never played a single game and is just, you know, one step above the water boy, gets a ring. And he can say, we win. You go, but but you didn't contribute. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He was on the team. He tackled somebody. He got someone that was on the practice squad ready to be moved up to the full squad. Yeah. You didn't see what that person did, but they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without the person on the practice squad. You see what I'm saying? It is not your role to determine whether you are you have a starring role or not. That's up for God. That's for God to decide. You be grateful that you have a part in the story. Praise God. So, the bride is coming down the aisle. She's meeting her groom. The question is, as the best man, are you here to barge in and intercept the bride? Or are you here to find your joy in the fact that God is bringing his people to his son and they will be his forever? There's only room for one groom. And that groom is the one who sits on the throne. And oh, does he love his bride. And what a day it will be when the marriage is complete. Rejoice that you even have a part in this wedding party. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, would you please work in us. Help us as a church to stay focused. We are not here to magnify ourselves. We are here to magnify Jesus. We are here to make sure that the bride knows who the groom is and that her love for the groom would increase uh, manifold ways. So, Father, may we repent if we in our actions have sought to be in the spotlight instead of in the shadow. Forgive us, Lord, where we've done this in our relationships. Forgive us, Lord, where we've done this perhaps even in our entertainment. We've done this in our work, in our school, study, marriages, our parenting. Forgive us, Lord, where we have sought to be the one in the spotlight isn't about us. It's about Christ. Lord, help us to orient our entire lives and even, Lord, by your Spirit, would you move to orient our entire ministry that everything that we say and everything that we do lifts high the name of Jesus, the risen Christ. Lord, we long for the day where you will return 
bride will be dressed in white. And our king, riding on a horse, will gather his people unto himself. Oh, the feast that will be on that day. We will celebrate because our Savior loves his bride and he will love her forever. Make this our joy that we would have joy forevermore.